just going through some scriptures where it was a couple of weeks ago, actually, and uh, looking at something that caught my eye. I think somebody else might have mentioned that or came close to it or something like that. Anyhow, if you would like to go to First Samuel chapter uh, 30, the, uh, this, the title, if you want to put a title of the talk, is to encourage yourself in the Lord. And in this particular um, set of scriptures, we look at a bit of a story here for going back to uh, chapter 29. I'm not going to read it all because it's rather long, but it's just, it sets the stage for what's happening. And we see in uh, 29, starting there, that David has been uh, with the Philistines. He's obviously run away from King Saul. Uh, and he's him, and he's been with the Philistines for some time. Obviously, he's become accepted amongst the Philistines, yeah. and uh, he's chosen, and unwisely, he's he's an Israelite, and he shouldn't be fooling around with the Philistines anyway. Uh, but here he is, and he has uh, chosen, because the Philistines are going to go to war with somebody, chose to go with them and help fight their battles. Well, that's uh, uh, very much the same as we would uh, say to some people, you know, you've got filled with the Holy Spirit and don't go back to your old life. Uh, not that the Philistines were David's old life at all, they never were, but he's, he's gone where he shouldn't have gone. And it, it didn't go well for him, really, because... Um, there's a question asked in verse 3 of 29. Then said the princes of the Philistines, What do these Hebrews hear? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistine, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel? Uh, that was black mark number one. Uh, it's the fact that he was a servant of the king of Israel. The Philistines didn't like the Israelites. And the, the Israelites didn't particularly like the Philistines. And so here is David caught in between them and obviously making an ally of himself with the Philistines going to war with them. And in verse 4 it says, The princes of the Philistines were rough with him. They were seriously unhappy with David. The very fact that he was there, the fact that he was going to war with them, and uh, <clears throat> down in that verse uh, they, they show their distrust towards him. It says... Uh, uh, and let him not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For wherewith should he reconcile himself unto his ma unto his master? Should it not be with the heads of these men? So whoever's speaking there, so you're talking about, you know, he's going to kill us and make himself a pretty good guy in the eyes of Saul, the king. And... Uh, so the friend of his, uh, Akish, one of the Philistines, said, you know, the best thing you can do is go away because uh, they don't really want you here. I like you, I trust you, but they obviously don't trust you. And uh, it's a better thing that you go away because uh, who knows what might happen. So in verse 7, go, uh, go now, return and go in peace that thou displease not the lords of the Philistines. And I'm sure David would say, well, God forbid I should I upset the Philistines. That's not what I want to do. And uh, But we see here he's, he's 
been with the Philistines for a while. He's made friends with them, and now he's being rejected. He's being rejected, and he's being told that I trust him. That he's, he's going to be a traitor to them. He's going to betray them in battle. And uh, this this one guy who's saying, "Well, I trust you, but they don't. You know, and they got to say they're the boss, and uh, you 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 need to go." Uh, and so it's it's a very difficult time for him. He's, he's not welcome probably among Israel. He's not welcome among the Philistines. And, and sometimes we get ourselves caught up in these situations where we're not welcome anywhere. And, and it's, uh, as we heard in uh, one of the testimonies, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough for the Philistines. I'm not good enough for Israel. What do I do now? And uh, and so in verse 11, says, David and his men rose up early to depart in the morning to resume, return to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So they were off to fight a battle. And it came to pass, when David and his men would come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded from the south. And Ziklag and, and Ziklag and smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire. But it gets worse, as we see here, and taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came into the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. You couldn't imagine anything worse than what's just happened. He's rejected, been rejected by Saul, his way was with the Philistines. He's been rejected by the Philistines, but they weren't nice people anyway, and he wasn't supposed to be there. That was not the smart thing to do, was to be amongst the Philistines. And they've said, we don't trust you. You need to go away uh, because we think that you're going to turn on us in the middle of the battle so you can make yourself the nice guy with Saul again. So you need to go. So they left, and here they come home to where they were living, to the city, and it's been burnt to the ground. And all their families and everything that was inside the city were taken. Everything had gone. And... Uh, <clears throat> And then David and the people that were with him in verse 4 uh, lifted up their voice and wept. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did, but worse was to come, for David at least, until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. And the next bit is is the gold. This is gold, because you know, without he's gone through all of this, the rejection of the Philistines, the rejection of Saul, the 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 words that were bitter towards him is going to be a traitor, he's going to kill us, he's going to behead us, he's going to take the heads back to Saul make himself a good guy to Saul, comes back home, the city's burnt, and all the families are gone, no doubt. The stock's gone, everything is gone, and now his own men are turning on him, and they want to stone him to death. 
And uh, where does he go? We see there that they spake of stoning it because the soul of the people is grieved in David, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. We find there that after he had done that, we don't know how much time he spent doing that, and judging by everything that he had gone through, I suspect that it was quite a while. And we find then that because he's done this, that he's, he's obviously repented and thought about where he'd been, what he'd done, thought about the loss, everything that he'd lost, he had nothing, absolutely nothing left. And so he goes to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, and I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, and he said, direct conversation with God, which is sometimes we forget that we need to do this. We forget to, we, that we need to have conversations with God. We don't need to have churchy prayers. Churchy prayers probably don't achieve a whole lot. But a heart-to-heart with God, we have a conversation with God. And he talks to God. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, What shall I do? Shall I go up? Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him and said, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. And David went, and he and the 600 men that were with him, and uh, and so the story goes on, they did everything, and they got everything back. But we see there this, this point of change that David went through when he had nowhere else to go, none of his men, he couldn't go and talk to his men because his men were mad at him. They wanted to stone him to death. So what was he going to do? Go and try and convince them not to do that in his own strength? That would have been a waste of time because they were stressed. They were grieving. They were angry. Everything everything in their mind, was their emotions were so out of order in these uh, men's lives that David probably wouldn't have had any chance at all of going to try and change their minds about stoning him to death. So the only place he could go and so we, we get into these situations ourselves sometimes when the only place that we can go is to go and to talk to the Lord because we're desperate. David by this time must have been very, very desperate when he was at this, this end, at the very end of that. And he says, but... David encouraged himself in the Lord. And so we see there that the, the story, the, the verse by itself is great. But unless you put the story, the whole story that brought him to that point, unless you put all that there and preface it, preface that statement, but he encouraged himself in the Lord with the story that went before it, the the gravity of what David did doesn't really become apparent. David just didn't go and have a prayer. David was, no doubt, very frightened of what was going to happen to him, very frightened of how things were going to work, whether it whether was all going to fall out for the good. But David's attitude, obviously, God saw that, 
And when he asked the question, what do we do now? Do we go and pursue? Do we go and chase them? And God said, yes, go and do that. We've had our conversation. I see your heart. I understand. And go and do that and get the victory. Because this is really what God brings, fills us with the Holy Spirit for. He doesn't protect us from the Philistines of the world. He doesn't protect us from the people who want to lay charges at our feet of uh, uh, you know, being traitorous, our own families. You know, he's a, wow, you've become a Christian. Whoa, you, 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 you've gone against the whole family tradition. How dare you? How dare you do that? And I'm sure there's those among us that have been told that you might as well leave home now because you're not one of us anymore. Go away. And you're distressed, just like David. And David was greatly distressed. And uh, you probably thought the, the friends and the relatives felt like stoning you to death. And uh, where do you go? The only place you can go is to encourage yourself in the Lord. And he did that. We, we, we all too often get into situations where that kind of thing happens and we've got this cascade of problems come against us that we are so absorbed in the, in the problem that we forget the solution and we forget what to do or how to approach the solution or what the solution really is. And we, uh, and, and very often, and I've heard people talk about this and uh, we hear, heard it in the, the testimonies tonight. There are times when we get into these situations and we feel, and that's the worst thing we can do is feel. We've been told it's information that we have and it's information that we can put into practice when we've been told that all we need to do is approach God and believe what he says, and then trust what he says. To trust God, trust God's promises. All the promises of God, we're told, are yes and amen. They're not, hmm, and maybe, well, I hope so. Well, perhaps, or make an appointment, uh, come back in a week and uh, yeah, take two aspirin in the meantime, and come back in a week and we'll see how you feel. And if you're feeling okay, just keep taking the aspirin. Don't worry about praying. But there's so many things that go through our minds, how we keep putting off having this conversation with God. We don't do it. And, how, and then when we do, and things happen, and we, we think to ourselves quite often, why did I wait so long? Why didn't I do this before? And David probably could have thought, why did I even leave Saul? Why did I go away? Why didn't I start seeking the Lord then? Instead of waiting until I got to this point, here I am, hated by the Philistines, not very well liked by the Israelites. Uh, my men hate me, they want to stone me. I'm, I'm everything, I've lost everything. Why did I wait so long to have this conversation with my God? Why did I do that? And you realize just how not very smart you were when you realize that I didn't. I waited too long to get the victory. Well, sometimes when you wait too long, the victory is bigger and it's a greater testimony. But yeah, I'm not sure that we really want to have that kind of thing in our lives where we're always 
sort of reluctant. Sometimes we think God's too busy for us or, or he's got too much on his plate or, or there's more important things than us. You know, our problems are only small. Surely God's got bigger things to do than, uh, than look after our trivial problems. And, and yet to us, there's no problem that's too small. If it's a problem, it's a problem. And if it is a problem, it's a problem we need to deal with. And we, we get filled with the Holy Spirit for a number of reasons in God's sight. First, he wants to save your soul. That's what's really important. He wants to save your soul. And so in saving our soul, he wants to keep your soul saved. He doesn't want this soul that he saved wandering off into the wilderness and doing silly things and getting involved with the Philistines. So he wants your soul to be saved and continue to walk in the way that will eventually get you to meet him in the air when Jesus Christ comes back, because that's what he wants. That's why Jesus died on the cross, for that specific purpose, so that he, we could be brought back from the ways of sin and death. So he's purchased us, and we've been purchased out it would be silly of us to think that if we've been purchased, that he would just toss us aside uh, because there was a, an amazing price that was paid for our lives, for our souls. Our soul is precious to us. It's precious to God. He's the creator of our souls. He owns us. He tells us, all souls are mine, says the Lord. So the ones that never get saved, their souls are his too. But when we are saved, how much more will God do for us to keep us in that situation? So he knows he loves us that much. So what's he going to do for us if he loves us that much? He's going to do everything that he possibly can as long as we let him. If we allow him to do that for us. And sometimes we, we because we get into this mindset of not having a conversation with God, or not or thinking he's too busy or hasn't got time or I have to make an appointment or I'm not worthy. It's one of the worst things you could ever do is say I'm not worthy because that's going to stop everything. I'm not worthy because what you're really saying is that God is, you're not worth God working in your life. And what a tragedy that is. If you do that, then you say, God, it's, I'm not worthy of you working a miracle in my life. He's already done that. He's filled you with the Holy Spirit, the biggest miracle you could probably have. The rest of it is icing on the cake, so to speak. So <clears throat> it, can be, it can be sometimes if you go to John chapter uh, 6 in verse 66, and we see there in John chapter 6 in verse 66, Again, there's a bit of a backstory to this. Jesus had been somewhat involved with a, a very large group of uh, disciples, and he said some things to them, and to uh, a lot of them, 60-some of them, they had thought, this is too hard. It's too difficult for us. They're hard sayings. And sometimes people, and I've heard people say this in my, my years of the Lord, I can't do this any longer. It's too hard. But what's the reward? It's too hard. It's never too hard. Because God has told us already. 
he would never give us more than what we can bear. And in doing so, he'll give us a way out. So there's always, there's always the solution to the problem. God has always got the solution to the problem for us. But we can put ourselves in that situation as well. Sometimes it's too hard. I can't do this anymore. And in verse 66 of John 6, it says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Will you also go away? And how many people have said that to us over the years when we're when we are uh, walking with the Lord and the friends, your relatives, not the Lord very long, and they say, you go to church how many times a week now? You go that long? You spend that much time at church? How could you do that? Surely nobody in their right mind would spend that much time at church. That's that's ridiculous. I mean, it's okay to go to church. Uh, once you go to Christmas time and Easter time, that's surely God's happy with that. And they try to load this big guilt trip onto you. So you're spending too much time with God, my friend. Darling, you can't spend too much time with God. <laughs> you think about what God is going to do for us. We're going to live forever. We're going to be with God. We're going to live forever with God. So now, right now, you can't spend too much time with God. He wants you. He wants you to spend time with him. And then Simon Peter answered, him and this is good another good thing for us to remember where shall we go to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life and we believe and are sure that you are that christ the son of the living god and we we need to be sure about that in ourselves that he is really who he says he is. He is the Christ, the anointed of God. Jesus Christ is it's into sort of a funny term. Jesus is means Saviour in the Greek, and Christ means anointed. So he's the anointed of God, our Saviour. And he died on the cross for us, and he rose from the dead just to prove to us. He went through all of that to prove to the whole world that there is a resurrection, that there is a resurrection to come, and we're a part of that. And yet, even though we're a part of that, we can we can get ourselves caught up in things that want to tear us away from our Saviour, <clears throat> and it's a, it's a hard thing to do. In 1 Corinthians 10, you don't need to go there because I've more or less quoted this verse in verse 13. There has no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. The word tempted can mean tried or tested above what you are able, but will with the temptation or the trial or the testing also make a way to escape you may be, may be able to bear it. Now sometimes, just sometimes, our way of escape is not always the, the most elegant way to go about things because sometimes in the Lord people get sick and they pass away 
and because we're left behind and we sometimes get mad at God because he's taken somebody away from us that has been dear to us, somebody that we love, somebody very close to you. They say, well, why did you do this, God? Why did you do this? And we don't see, we don't see clearly what God has done. God has taken somebody while they're in a very safe state and preserved them to the day of today of resurrection. And we miss that. We miss that because we get our feelings caught up in, in the whole process with I'm, I'm going to miss somebody that I love so much. And that's there. That might be just the way out for some people. For others, no. We might see the testimonies of people being healed, raised up and, and set free. And that's another part of why we're here. God hasn't preserved us from the trials of this world by any means. And I'm sure many of us here in this situation today can relate to that. That, yes, I've gone through the same sort of things as people in the world go through, but the Lord has delivered me out of those situations. Why? Because you encourage yourself for the Lord. You have taken the words of God. You said, I, I need, come into a corner, Lord, with me. I need to have a conversation with you. I need to tell you what's going on in my life. It's not like God doesn't already know, but God wants to hear you say that. He wants to hear how you feel about that. He wants to know how it affects you. Perhaps or he already knows that, how it affects you, because he knows everything about us. He's not hiding from us. He's not so busy. He's not on the other side of the world doing a, a quick job in somebody's bathroom to stop a leaking faucet. He's here with us, inside of us. And you think you just think about that for just a moment. You know, he's filled us with the Holy Spirit. He's filled us with himself. His Spirit lives inside of us. And we dare, we dare to think that we're not worthy that he has filled us with the Holy Spirit. This unworthy body that we have, that sadly some of us can still think is unworthy. Well, God doesn't feel the same way about that at all. Otherwise, he wouldn't stay there, I'm sure. But he stays there. This is the promise. It's his seal. He's sealed us to redemption. What an amazing thing that he's done. Absolutely, it is. We can't even begin to uh, conceive of the magnitude of what God has done in us personally. Because if we did, if we knew, I don't know whether we'd ever recover from that thinking. It'd be just too much for us. There's a, a lot of other stuff that I've got there, if you can, you want to write a couple of verses down, is Isaiah 6, 8 through 11, and Matthew 10, 16 through 23. And it talks about situations and 
situations the world is going through. And it's in Matthew 10, uh, we see there uh, in verse 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. And we really are. The world we live in really doesn't like us. And uh, in the United States at the moment, the world that we live in really doesn't like us terribly much at all. And there's uh, behind the scenes, there's a lot of persecution going on uh, against churches. It's not violent. It's just it's passive. With its passive resistance uh, during this COVID thing that we're having, churches can't meet because um, just because the government says we can't meet. But other organizations, they opened restaurants, they opened up uh, gymnasiums to have uh, uh, gymnasiums working. They opened up retail stores. But churches, no, not so much. You know, there were a lot of restrictions put on churches. And uh, people saw that. And they said, well, why are churches singled out for this bad treatment? There's a whole bunch of churches in California in particular went back uh, and started having meetings in, in spite of what the, the government was saying. And uh, there's just been a court case uh, in Southern California where a judge has said, you can't stop churches from having meetings. So I don't know what's going to happen about that. <clears throat> it's difficult. It's a very difficult situation. And we read in verse 21 there, And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endures to the end shall be saved. And when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For verily I say to you, you have not gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man shall be come. And so we see there that God has the plan and he's going to look after us. He's given us the ideas about what we can do. Let's go to Psalm 116, verse 12. It's quite an interesting psalm here and uh, it sort of brings to light what I said just a um, few minutes ago about some people do pass away in the Lord and uh, you know, we, we, we should rejoice over this because we see here in, in, uh, in this set of verses here how God feels about that. But the here is where we start in verse 12, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? He said, what shall I give to the Lord for everything he's given to me? And verse 13 is quite an amazing statement where the psalmist says, I know what I'll do. I'll give God myself. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. What greater thing can you do for all of God's benefits towards you but to give him yourself? It's exactly what God wants. He wants you to give yourself to him. And in verse 14, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. And then that verse 15, which is quite an amazing verse that the world really doesn't understand, is as precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And we need to think about that. We think about it in in 
ways that are sort of contrary to the way God thinks about it. We know that God says, I don't, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why? Because it's a soul lost. Why would he take pleasure in the death of the wicked? It's a sad thing for him, for an unrepentant sinner to die because it's a soul that he loses. But here we see, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. We know in Revelation it says, if they die righteous, they stay righteous. If they are unrighteous in death, they've got no recourse. They can't make themselves righteous. It's a permanent state. And so here we see God making that clear to us. It's a permanent state. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so we, we don't, it, it's, to, to us, it's probably the worst of the worst of the worst of things that can go wrong in your life is to die. And we think about that and we think, well, who do we leave behind and what are we going to do and how are we going to provide and what all these sorts of things. There in the Lord, God's taken care of that. He's got all that worked out. All your relatives, your, your husband, your wife, your children, if they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, they're walking in God's ways, God's already taken care of their situation. He's already promised to comfort them. He's already promised to meet their needs. He's done all of that for them. So we don't have to worry about that for those that are left behind. And those that are left behind don't have to worry about us if that's our fate. If we pass away in the Lord, our fate, we die being filled with the Spirit, walking in God's ways, we've made it. We'll see them again and we'll meet We'll meet them when the Lord comes back. Today we live in a world that to us is both amazing and terrifying. Amazing because we see the things that both the Old Testament and the New Testament spoke of through the prophets and through and Jesus, respectively. And terrifying in a sense that because it's really happening right before our very eyes right now, we see it. It's in our newspapers, it's on our television sets, it's all over the internet. We know why it is happening. We know God knew the, the end from the beginning. He knew the heart of man. He told us what it was like. He said the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? I, the Lord, try the reins of the heart. He knows what the heart is doing. He knows how it's thinking. They do think. So the world is, the world around us has no hope at the moment. If you wanted to see a world that's around you having no hope, this is a good place to be right now in, uh, uh, in California because it's, oh, that's the verse I was looking for. It's, it's a world, it's a country of hopelessness right now and people are trying to have political resolution to build hope, but their hope doesn't last until they understand uh, it's a, a bit like Paul said, if I have hope only in this world, I am of all men most miserable. And this world is miserable. Uh, something like 40% of uh, young people have contemplated suicide in the United States since this COVID uh, plague has hit us. 
The scripture I was looking for is in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. It says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And I'm going to go into the next verse just in a second. But I want to bring out something here that's really important for us to understand about that verse. There's two words that we use when we're sorry for people. One is to be sympathetic. And being sympathetic is just being, we're sorry that you're in such a mess. But we can't relate to that. We're really sorry. We see it. We see it with our eyes. We see what is happening to you. But I can't relate to it because it's never happened to me. But what Jesus is saying here is not sympathy. He's saying, I've got empathy. Why? Because I have been tempted like you already. I have gone through what you've been, what you're going through. I understand. My, I have felt all of this. So I know what it is that you are dealing with. And yet with, with all of that, he was without sin. And sometimes we can get into very tempting situations or, or trials where we go off the track for a bit and uh, do things that we shouldn't do. Jesus didn't do that. But he, he's, he's empathetic toward us. He's not just sympathetic. It's not just sympathy. It's empathy. He's feeling and has felt what you have felt. And so in verse 16 it says, and this is one of those why shouldn't we do this questions. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. We're not dealing with a God that doesn't know how we feel or what we go through or what our problems are or or where we've been or the trials and the temptations that we've gone through. I sometimes think about Jesus when he was talking to uh, the, uh, the scribes of the Pharisees when he was 12 years old and his mother came back. She, he'd been missing for two or three days and she came back and she was really not happy with him at all. I would have just would have loved to have been there to see what she said to him. And she probably said, Jesus, what do you think you're doing? We're worrying sick about you and here you are sitting around with these guys just talking to them. And he said to her, of course you do know it. And she did know it. The, the translation is a little bit messy there. But what Jesus really says uh, to his mother is, of course you know that I really need to be doing my father's business. You know that. And she, the, the scripture goes on to say that she took that on board and she tucked it away in her heart, in her mind. She understood what he said. Now, I couldn't imagine that Jesus, at 12 years old, didn't have some idea of what his life was going to be like or what his end was going to be like. Do you imagine the stress of a 12-year-old child thinking, I'm going to have to sacrifice myself for these crazy people? But out of it, I'll get some, there's going to be a result. We're going to get souls saved. And at 12 years old, he's doing his father's business. And he's made his mother aware of it. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten that I was about my father's business? This is where I was supposed to be. Surely. And yet, 
here we are. And so we here as well, we're about our Father's business. So why can't we come boldly without any sort of fear or trepidation or anything like that? Why are we reluctant to come to the throne of God? And why are we reluctant to put our, our, our uh, requests before him? We should never, ever be reluctant to have the conversation with God, to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We should never, ever feel like we can't do that. We should never feel that we're bothering God. We're not bothering God. He's bothered when we don't do what he's, in, what he's telling us to do. Let's go down to First Peter chapter 1, and we will finish here in verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith. So we see here, he builds us up. Peter builds us up and says, look at this. Look at what's happened to you. And then in verse 6 and 7, it says, Yes, you're going to go through some tough times, but don't lose heart. Just remember all this. Remember those verses, three, four, five. Remember those verses, who you are, what the promises are. So the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant, whom, having not seen, you love, in whom, though now you see him, not yet believing. And that believing is believing, not just, oh yes, I believe the sky's blue, and I believe, you know, I, I believe if I turn the lights on, the light will go on, you know, not that sort of belief. This is believing, trusting, relying upon him, all the good things that we're supposed to be doing. You rejoice because we believe. You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your salvation, even the salvation of your soul. Praise the Lord. So, I don't know whether there's anybody here today listening in, watching, being involved. Of course, we always like to finish off something like this with the, the promise verse. Acts 2.38, God wants you to do a couple of things. He wants you to repent and get baptized. And in the, in the Greek, they're wonderful statements because they're imperatives. I don't know how that translates, but he's really saying, you've got to do this. You really have to do this. What you have to do, you have to repent. You have to get baptized. You have to die to your old way of life. You have to do this. It's important. And then you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
people challenge us on those verses sometimes. Baptists and and a, a number of other church, church of Christ, they challenge us. So when you get baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit. No, it's not like that. The two statements, repent, be baptized, are imperatives, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, is in the future tense. It's divided away from the first two things by tense. It'll happen. Happened to me before I got baptized. But I'd obviously repented, and I got baptized the same day. But praise the Lord. So Acts 2.38 is the turning point. If you want to turn your life around, this is what you've got to do. You can't escape this. If you say, no, I don't have to do that, well, you're really saying, no, I don't have to be saved either. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll speak in tongues. You say, but I don't want to speak in tongues. Well, you'll speak in tongues. I'm sorry, but this is the way God works. It's what God does. When he fills you with the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues because God said you would and you will. And that's what happens because God said you would, so you will. And all the people said, Amen.